Our gospel this day is from the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter. Jesus said, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you, that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the Gospel of our Lord. This is not a COVID-friendly story, eating Jesus' flesh and blood. So many germs. Even without COVID, those first hearers were certainly horrified at the thought of literally eating flesh and blood, which is prohibited by the law and gross. With our modern ears, we're more likely to read this text symbolically or metaphorically or eucharistically. Sharing bread and wine, sharing food together has been an important part of the Christian faith since the beginning. And for many of us, it's something that we've missed during this time of physical distancing. At PLU, our student congregation, university congregation, we met on Zoom and sometimes outside over the last academic year. COVID precautions kept us from sharing bread and wine together. And equally important, it kept us from sharing a meal that follows worship. Usually, after sharing the communion meal in our evening worship, we continue the feast in the PLU Commons. Sunday is a good night to go because it's all you care to eat. And students who live in houses surrounding campus and who have to cook their own meals on a tight budget are especially grateful for this abundance and delight that someone else has prepared nutritious and delicious food. The food is certainly part of it, but maybe more so is the table. Before worship, I go up to the commons and reserve a few tables near each other so that after worship, we might be able to continue the fellowship together. And every week, after the big long table is full, students continue to pull chairs from neighboring tables and squish them in to fit more people. And then when they simply cannot fit any more chairs, then they start moving tables. So that by the time we're all sitting and eating, it's one big long community table. I have missed that. And so I'm so looking forward to welcoming students back to campus and sharing tables together soon. The table is connective. 
In the early church years of the Christian movement, long before the cross was the dominant symbol, the table was the main visual representing Jesus and this community. Jesus as the one who's, who breaks bread and shares. At PLU University Congregation this fall, we're going to be diving into the book of Acts. Stories about a group of people who are experiencing trauma, living with much uncertainty in a world that felt like it was falling apart. Ring any bells? Stories about how they began to find new ways to be community and to shape life together as the early church. Important in the early church was that the bread and wine of communion was in the context of a full meal. And for some, especially the poor among them, this was the one meal they could for sure count on each week. This table, where all were invited and there was food enough for all, was life-sustaining. Beyond physical nourishment, life is what Jesus promises for those who eat his flesh and drink this blood. Those who eat this bread will live forever, he says. When Jesus talks about eternal life, more than a quantity of time, it's about a quality of life, living life abundantly, fully. Even during the height of the pandemic, most days I felt fine. I have a tremendous amount of privilege. Mostly, I felt grateful to be safe and healthy, and I could adapt to connecting with colleagues and students and family and friends, mostly via Zoom. COVID fine is how I heard some people respond to this question, how are you? COVID fine. Alive and grateful, yes, but kind of muted or squished. Maybe you saw the New York Times article about languishing that circled around a few months back. The author argued that languishing might be the dominant emotion of 2021. He described the increasing experience of not quite feeling depressed or burnt out, but not flourishing, somewhat joyless, aimless, quote, muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield. Languishing. When things opened up a bit, when friends were able to come over and share a meal, when our team meetings at PLU were in person, that's when I understood that the gap between COVID fine and really living was wider than I thought. And it's not just about being in person or virtual, because certainly pre-COVID, there was still plenty of languishing. But here in this passage, Jesus offers bread that doesn't just stave off hunger, but that nourishes and satisfies our deepest longings. A life beyond languishing. Those who eat this bread will live forever. I really like the way Dr. Richard Swanson, who's a former professor of mine, the way he talks about this concept of forever or eternal, as in the life forever that Jesus promises and the eternal life that Peter claims towards the end of this passage. Swanson stresses that while this word does sort of mean a long time, which is how we traditionally read it, the more important part, what it is really pointing to, is a different or alternative quality of time, no matter the length. The current time for those following Jesus was marked by Roman violence and oppression, by poverty and fear, and what Jesus is offering is a different quality of time, 
a way of life shaped by the abundant love and the grace of God. In his life and actions with these followers, Jesus is working to shift from this current time to something different, eternal life, now. So what about our current time? Well, a global pandemic we can't seem to get under control and the global poor continuing to suffer disproportionately. The Taliban growing in power and the Afghan government crumbling. A wildfire season that seems longer every year and burns our lungs as well as the forests, sending up a climate change red flare. The devastating earthquake in Haiti. Systems of white supremacy enacting violence on black and brown bodies and souls. An economic system that continues to exploit essential workers while making the rich richer. And I'm sure you have your own personal stuff going on too. As my friend Emily says, existence is hard. In the face of all this, no wonder folks are prone to languishing or worse. In the face of this, I think one of the great questions of our time is, is there another way to live? That's part of what we'll be exploring this fall through the Book of Acts and our student congregation at PLU. Is there another way to live? Those early faithful are conversation partners who both asked this question and created an alternative vision, a different way to live eternal life here and now. In Acts, this is characterized by sharing possessions, caring for those most vulnerable, figuring out how to become a diverse community filled with compassion, living a way of life that declared over and over again, yes, there is another way to live. Join us. Now, I don't want to romanticize the early church or even the life that Jesus is inviting these followers or us into. The text explicitly tells us this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? The word for teaching is logos, word. The words of Jesus are difficult. And also, Jesus is the logos, the word. And he's difficult to follow. The path he travels is hard because it's not a quick fix. As much as many wished that what he was bringing was a swift overthrow and a new reign. The sometimes slow nature of God is difficult to accept. There are many who turn back, going back to what was rather than forward into such unknown. It reminds me of the Israelites in the Exodus story who shortly into their wilderness journey longed to return to Egypt. Yeah, it was bad there, but at least they knew what to expect. And they weren't quite certain that they could trust the bread that came down from heaven. You remember the stories of hoarding manna, just in case God stopped providing. It's a risk to be too dependent, to trust too much. So many turn back. But I don't want us to hear this, that it's all about our decision. Can we follow Jesus or not? Are we the faithful ones who keep following or the ones who turn back and no longer go around with Jesus? That's only part of it. What's maybe even a more difficult word from this passage in John is that the way of eternal life is not in our control. It's not all up to us. Which, although that would seem like a good word, it's also a difficult word. 
When we look around and we can't clearly see God working or see signs of hope in our midst, and we want to do something, take control and make it happen. Yet we are not the source of life, eternal or otherwise. Our flesh is useless without the Spirit of God breathed into us. We need God to show us the way to Jesus. We cannot create a different way to live all on our own, even with really good strategy and organizing. Now the 12 who keep following, they don't necessarily have more faith or even know where they're going, but they trust where to look. They look to Jesus and then they take one more faithful step toward him. One of my favorite quotes by Eugene Peterson talks about how God is always up to something before we know it. And our job is to notice what God is doing, what the Spirit is already working on, and to join that. We don't have to start it or control it. We are simply invited to join. We practice this each week in our student congregation at PLU as we share where we have seen or experienced God in the past week. We have to practice noticing what the Spirit is up to. One thing we know the Spirit is up to is coming to us in bread and wine, the flesh and blood that is a promise that a fuller, richer life, a bigger table for all is possible. The sacrament of communion reminds us that Jesus' flesh and blood also now lives in us. And animated by the Spirit, our flesh and blood can join in living eternal life now. With the Spirit coursing through our blood, then our very lives can answer the question, is there another way to live? With a resounding, full-bodied, yes, join us. Amen.